Welcome, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. This is Brother Jimmy Fortunato, and you're listening to a sermon from the Pilgrim Baptist Church in Tennessee. For more information about our church, please visit us on the web at pilgrimbaptist.church. Galatians chapter number one. We're going to wrap up chapter number one this morning. Let's start reading at... Verse number 17. Galatians chapter 1, verse 17. Neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again unto Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him 15 days. So what do we've got? We've got three years before Paul goes to Jerusalem. He's converted. He preaches three years before meeting any of the twelve. We talked about before his apostleship is unique. It's outside of the twelve. He wasn't one of the twelve. We went over that Sunday evening last time. But he goes to Jerusalem. Why? What's his purpose? Why is Paul going there? To see Peter. And how long does he say? Well, we find out that he stayed for 15 days. And it's interesting that he went up to Jerusalem. So I want to get a couple of passages in Acts. So let's go back to Acts. And let's get Acts chapter 22 to start with. All right, let's get Acts 22 and then get your finger on Acts 7. But Acts chapter 22, the Bible says in verse number 3, uh, well, let's start at verse 1. And Paul, earnestly beholding the council, said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God unto this day. The high priest Ananias commanded them that stood by him to smite him on the mouth. Then said Paul unto him, God shall smite thee, I'm sorry, go back to 22. We're in 22. I am sorry. Acts chapter 22, we'll start reading at verse number 1. Men, brethren, and fathers, hear ye my defense, which I make now unto you. And when they heard that he spake in the Hebrew tongue to them that kept the more silence, and he saith, and here it is, I am verily a man which am a Jew, born in Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, yet brought up in this city. What city? Jerusalem. At the feet of Gamaliel. And taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers. And was zealous toward God as ye are all this day. He's brought up as a boy. Paul, we always see him going to Jerusalem, going to Jerusalem. Well, he goes up to Jerusalem. We see in Acts 22, where he's brought up. He's learning at the feet of Gamaliel. Now go back to Acts 7. At the end of the chapter, Acts 7. We'll start at verse number 57. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. 
And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. He's looking after the clothes of the men that stoned Stephen. This is Paul in Jerusalem. Now go over to Acts chapter number 8, first three verses. And Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the region of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devote men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committing them to prison. Hailing is just forcibly dragging them. That's Saul in Jerusalem. Imagine going back there. <laughs> Imagine doing that to people and then going back to that town. But he's going. He's going. Then the Bible says to see Peter and abode with him 15 days. Why is he wanting to see Peter? We don't really know for sure. The Bible really doesn't give us specifics on why, but we do know when he got there, there wasn't a council there examining him. He got acquainted with Peter for two weeks. That's all we know. In Galatians chapter 1, uh, let me get back there. When we go back to verse number 17, it says, uh, But I went unto Arabia and returned again unto Damascus. Then, after three years, so in verse 17, he's witnessed he's, he's witness to Arabs. He's over in Arabia. Imagine this. All of these gone through in Jerusalem. He gets converted. He's on fire for God. He spends three years before he goes to Jerusalem. Now he's going to go see Peter. Maybe he just wants to get some friendship. Maybe he just wants to get some fellowship. So let's park on that a little bit. Because different people, all of a sudden, aren't so different after Jesus Christ moves into their life. A couple of things that biblical Christianity does. One thing that biblical Christianity does is it equals the terms. Because before Christ, it was the rich over here and the poor over here. Before Christ, it was the farmers over here and then the executives over here. Before Christ, it was this division that people were just in their own clique, if you would. The strong and the weak, the young and the old. Not in Christ. When you get saved, all of a sudden, people aren't so different. We come together, we have nothing in common. Yet we have everything in common. So why is he going to Jerusalem? Probably to seek some friendship. Probably to seek some fellowship. Other thing biblical Christianity does, besides equaling the terms, it really does, it offers true and honest fellowship. It's fellowship in Christ and it's fellowship wrapped around the love of Christ. Can't we all attest to the fact that we need 
each other. We need friends. We need fellowship. You know, that's one of the real, real strong things that presses upon missionaries and church planning families is that they're going to go to a new area. They don't have friends. They don't have family. They don't have fellowship. They're really on their own in one sense. So to go back and visit with someone or to go and take a trip and to meet with other folks, it's refreshing. It's good fellowship. Here's the importance of Christian fellowship. We need to keep this in mind. Here, everybody should be contributing. You can't have two fellows in the ship, don't rock the boat mentality. <laughs> That's not fellowship. <laughs> um, I've been to churches like that. And, you know, it's a fellowship church, all right. Yeah, two fellows in a ship and don't rock the boat. It has to expand further than that. Everyone should be able to contribute in one way, shape, or form. You can't run a home if the children can't contribute. A New Testament church can't operate truly in the Spirit of Christ if everyone isn't given an opportunity to contribute. We all can contribute. Brother Jimmy, I'm just too old. I can't do... Yeah, you can't do whatever fill-in-the-blank was for you, but you can do, and now fill-in-the-blank. It's all how you think. We have to really change the way that we think. I can't contribute. No, instead say, I can contribute. We tend to say, well, I could never do X. Instead, you should say, I can't do X, but I can do Y. We tend to focus on what we can't do. We tend to focus on the negative instead of the positive. There's time for negative. We all have enough trials in our lives. We all have enough problems in our lives that we don't self-induce. <laughs> Why jump headfirst in and just self-induce yourself with negative thinking? You can contribute. I can contribute. We all can. That's the importance of Christian fellowship. I'm just not a good talker. I just can never be around people and talk. I can't hold a conversation. Every time I try to say something, I just... Well, why in the world would you try to be the guy or the gal that's the talker then? <laughs> Find something else that you're good at. Maybe it's singing. Maybe it's playing music. Maybe it's doing sign language. Maybe it's doing puppets. Maybe it's doing... Fill in the blank. I could never go out and do public ministry. I just can't talk to people. Okay, then hold a sign. Hold it in front of your face and you don't have to talk. We all can do something. Find out what you can do and contribute. We need you for fellowship. It's important to the body. The other importance of Christian fellowship is We get to share in the great trials that we do have in the Christian life. Imagine being a wife and you're married to someone who, if you go through a trial or you have a tough day, you can't turn to your husband and, and, and tell him anything about that. That would be a miserable way for a lady to live. <laughs> 
I mean, think about that, ladies. If you, you, you know, you got a rough day, you know, if you're a school teacher or you're raising kids or you're, you're out doing your shopping and, and something, something happens that's just caused you to be emotionally distraught. Your husband comes home at five or six o'clock and you try to tell him and he's like, I, well, I don't really care. And he turns on the TV. If you had to live like that, that would be tough. Imagine living like that in a church family. That doesn't mean we all come in with our front-end loaders and we just dump our baggage onto everybody. But it does mean we should be willing to listen and have some true Christian fellowship because we should be able to share in the trials that come along with the Christian life. You might not be going through a trial now. Praise God, you're not in that season. But eventually, you're going to enter into that season and you want to have some good Christian friends to be able to fellowship around you. Maybe not even to give advice. Maybe to just lend an ear. But that's the importance of Christian fellowship. And it's where we find comfort. Well, my comfort's in the Lord. Yeah, it is. I know. And so is mine. It is. The Bible also speaks about comforting one another. We need to be able to do that, and that's the importance of Christian fellowship. So Paul's going up to Jerusalem, he's going to see Peter. Um, the other thing about friendship and fellowship is that it requires sacrifice. When Paul goes up, do you think he goes pulls up the Uber app on his, on his, on his phone? He doesn't. He has to sacrifice to make the trip. The other thing we learn about this is how long was he with him? 15 days. Time is short. Can we all make the best of our time? Fill in the blank and answer that question. How can you, you, had, you have 15 days. Who is it that you know you should have given the gospel to, but you haven't yet? You've got 15 days and go. That's a pretty different way of thinking about it. We want eternal results. Eternal results. But we're sh we, we are short-term. Our results, by and large, are dealing with non-eternal things. We have to start making this eternal perspective. We have to start broadening that out in our lives so that we have this 15-day time is of the essence mentality. You know, like we do with other things. Oh, the sale's going to end. They only give it to you for the weekend. We got to go and get it. I'm not saying don't do that. I'm not saying I don't do that. What I'm saying is, let's take that same philosophy that we use for some things and turn it to, oh, we got 15 days Let's go make something of eternal value. What do you think they talked about? Probably the Lord. <laughs> I'm not saying don't talk about sports. I'm not saying don't ever talk about uh, knitting and painting and crocheting and farming and planting and gardening and decorating and music. And I'm not saying don't talk about those things. What I'm saying is the amount of effort and fervency that we put into that, let's put into 
things that have eternal value as well. Verse number 19, Galatians chapter number 1, verse 19. The Bible says, But other of the apostles saw I none, save James, the Lord's brother. So the only other contact that he made with was James. Now go back to Mark chapter 3, because here's our cross-reference. For Galatians chapter 1, verse 19, Jesus had other brothers and sisters. Mark chapter 6, Mark chapter 6, verse number 3, the Bible says, Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, and Joseph, and of Judah, and Simeon, and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? So, there's this Roman Catholic doctrine that says that Jesus was born of a virgin and that virgin stayed a virgin. She is a perpetual virgin. This is a doctrine, doctrine of the Roman Catholic Church that teaches this perpetual virginity of Mary. And to say otherwise would be uh, blasphemy. It's very easy to run across reference and see that Mary had other children. It's not a far stretch at all. Matter of fact, it's pretty simple to see. Which is why they don't want you and I to have our own Bible. <laughs> okay? That was the whole premise. Alright, Galatians chapter 1, verse 20. Now, the things which I write unto you, behold before God, I lie not. Well, why is, God, why is Paul appealing to God with this oath? I mean, in the immediate context, why in the world would anybody doubt that Paul is going to Jerusalem to see Peter and James? It doesn't really make sense. But he says, Now the things which I write unto you, now the things, it's not just about the 15 days that he's going to be with Peter. It's all the things, all the facts, and all the things that he has been talking about in the entire context of this chapter. His conversion, his revelation from the Lord. And so who else is he going to appeal to? Remember, at the start of Galatians, we're understanding that he's passing to prove his apostleship. This is what these Judaizers are accusing him of. Paul has a miraculous revelation of truth by Jesus Christ Himself. He says no man's involved. He doesn't consult with anybody. He's got no instruction from the other apostles. Yet the message is exactly the same as the other apostles. It's a serious matter to Paul. So the appeal to God was proper. Very, very proper. It was very, very serious, and that's why he did it. Galatians chapter 1, we are in verse 21. We'll back up, read it into the context. Now, the things which I write unto you, verse 20, behold, before God, I lie not. Verse 21, look at this. Afterwards, I came into the regions of Syria 
and Cilicia. So he also ministers in Syria and Cilicia. Syria, it's between Jerusalem and Cilicia. So he's from Jerusalem. Where is he going to go? Syria. And then from Syria, he's going to go to Cilicia, which Tarsus, where he was from, where he was born, is the capital of Cilicia. So that's where he's going next. In verse number 22, and was unknown by face unto the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. They had no idea who he was. Well, how in the world were they in Christ? That's where the twelve ministered. Same message. You find that people are in Christ when he gets there. What's the point of that? The gospel is always has always been and will always be bigger than one man. He gets there. They didn't receive the gospel from Paul. And Paul didn't receive the gospel from them. But they're in Christ. They're in Christ. What is the relationship of Christ to the churches? It's important. We need to understand this because we travel about, we might meet people we never met them before. Same gospel. Same Jesus. Same Christ. Same Christ. He says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And when he said that, it was future tense when he said it. I will, Jesus said, do something. And guess what he did? He did it because <laughs> he's Jesus and he always keeps his promises. So meet the founder. The founder is Jesus Christ. The founder isn't Paul. The founder isn't Peter. It's Jesus Christ. Get Ephesians chapter 4 and Acts chapter 20. Let's look at a couple of passages here. Ephesians chapter number 4, we will start with the church, the relationship of Christ to the churches. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working and the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. You know who built it? Jesus Christ. Fitly joined together. He put all the parts together so that they work. Built by and founded by and stamped with the approval of love. That's something to say glory to God to. That's something to say amen to. It's the body of Christ. Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 12. Look at this. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Why do we come to church? Why do we fellowship? To be edified. To be perfected. For the work of the ministry. Relationship of Christ to the church. He founded it. He built it. It's His body. Keep your finger in Ephesians 5. Let's get our Acts 20 passage. 
our Acts 20 passage. Keep your finger in Ephesians 5. Acts chapter 20. Verse 28. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which He, who's that? Jesus Christ, hath purchased with His own blood. It's redeemed through Christ. Founded, built, it's the body, it's His body, and He has redeemed it. Go back to Ephesians 5. Verse 24, Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for it. Verse 26, That He might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the Word. It's consecrated to Christ. Cleaned. Washed. Sanctified by the washing of water by the Word. That's the relationship of Christ to the church. We're going to look at one more. But it was founded by Him. It was built by Him. It's His body. He redeemed it. And He consecrated it. And He likens this consecration to a cleansing with the washing of water by the Word. And he gives husbands a little nugget of truth there. And he says, Even as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for it. He could have just said, Husbands, love your wives. But because we have to hear things over and over, you know, because God, we, we, as gentlemen, we all have selective hearing. <laughs> we hear what we want to hear. Um, so God doesn't just say, Husbands, love your wives. He says, he makes this analogy and he's trying to get us to understand even as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for it, He might sanctify it, cleanse it, washing the water by the Word, that He might present it to Himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So that, and then he says, so ought men to love their wives as their own bodies, he that loves his wife loves himself. God constantly gives us these word pictures because we can understand things in the physical. And then he wants us to apply it to the spiritual. How do we love our wives? Well, if she has a spot or a wrinkle, you buy wrinkle cream. You don't say, oh, look, there's a wrinkle. No, you cover it. If there's a blemish, you don't point it out to people in public. You don't point it out to, peop you, to, 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 to her in private. You try to help cover these things. Wash and clean. God has to say this because we need to hear this. And this is how He consecrates His church. Because is the church the pew? Is it the prayer bench? Is it the piano? Is it the pulpit? Is it the building? No. We power wash the building. 
because we don't want anybody to see the spot on it. We clean the carpets and the pews because we don't want someone to come in and see the spot on it. God says to men, why don't you do that for your wife? Because I did that for the church. So that nobody sees the spot or wrinkle and I consecrate it and I sanctify it and I make it holy. That's pretty powerful. Praise God for it. Verse 27, let's review it again because it's glorified in Christ. Relationship of Christ to the church, it's founded by Him, built by Him. It's His body, He redeemed it, He consecrated it. And it's glorified in Christ. It says that He might present to Himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy without blemish. We're declared sacred. And we are set apart now to devote our lives to the service of our holy God. All right, back to Galatians 1. Let's continue to move on. We're in verse number 23. We're going to wrap up the first chapter this morning. Amen. Galatians chapter 1, verse number 23. The Bible says, But they had heard only that he which persecuted us in times past now preacheth the faith which he once destroyed. Look at the reputation of Paul. From persecutor to preacher, praise God. He wasted it, now he's wanting others to, to receive it. Hallelujah. The Bible says in the very verse, beginning of that verse, but they had heard only. They hadn't met Paul, but they heard of his testimony. Doesn't that be neat? Wouldn't that be neat here? Reviving, rebuilding, planting. You know, we're, we're all praying for God to do something here. And He has, and He is, and He will. For us to go somewhere else. Oh, yeah, I, I, ne I never met you. It was the first time I'm meeting you before. But I heard a lot about what God's doing down there. Isn't that a great reputation to have? Now, for Paul, it was from persecutor to preacher. Now, if we think back on our lives before we got saved, I say before we got saved because no one's born a Christian. No one's born saved. There's a moment where you are saved. You move from being lost. Think about your life before Christ. You were a persecutor. You were against God. Even if you were brought up in a Christian church, you were God's enemy. And He saved you by His grace. We tend to think of only the bad people, you know. They, well, they really needed salvation. But me, you know, it was, you know, it would, it, would, it would have been coming anyway. You know, brought up in church and all. You know, Sunday school. No. We're all equally lost and hell-bound sinners before we come to Christ. It doesn't matter if we never killed anybody. <laughs> But they had heard only. He says, We persecuted us in times past, now preach the faith which he wants to for it. Now, I know I tend to be, uh, 
I tend to be an overly optimistic person. I still think that revival can still happen in the hearts and minds of people in America, in Tennessee, here in Cookville. I tend to think my personal opinion is this big mega church outfit whole thing is going to implode like the housing market did. People tell me I'm wrong. Maybe I am. But missionaries and church planters, when they go into a new area, they typically are optimistic for the results. Even though we all say, God will give the result and praise the Lord, and we do, we do tend to be a bit disappointed when things didn't go the way we thought they were going to go. But if we park on that idea, it's not a healthy place to be. We have to change the way we think, deal in the reality, but don't forget all of the things that God has done in the past, is doing right now in the present, and will do in the future. We don't know what they are. I don't know what they are, but I know God's got great plans for us. And I'm waiting for someone to say, but they heard only. Oh, I heard about that. Never met you, but I heard about that little church down there. Oh, I never met you folks. It's the first, oh, it's so good to see. I heard, I heard what God did. Oh, that's great. But I heard only. Don't forget. Don't forget. You know, you're building the fire, which we tried to do because I had all this scrap wood that I was uh, doing some things with in the garage. And so all the sawdust and all the scrap wood we wanted to burn. So, uh, you know, Josiah is trying to light up the, the, get the little electric lighter to ignite. It was out of lighter fluid in it, and so it, what, it wouldn't ignite. If you don't have an ignition, you can't get a flame. That's what you're praying for. You're praying that the ignition would become a flame. A little spark becomes a flame. Well, so we went and got the matches. And it ignited, and we got a flame. But you still don't have a fire. Because you're praying for that flame to spread. And then once it spreads and it actually catches onto something, then you got your bonfire and you can burn all your wood. Right? But it starts with an a spark, an ignition of a spark. That spark has to go to a flame, and that flame has to be able to spread. And that's what we're doing here. The spark comes up. We got to spark something, right? And we pray that that spark in an individual goes to a flame to another individual where they tell someone about Jesus or they visit and they bring someone else. And then that, that flame spreads now to a family and then one family to another family. And it takes time. Here's the problem. We can't try to ignite the flame with worldly methods. We can, spread, we can 
ignite and get a flame going and spread that flame and create a fire if we bring in worldly music, if we lower standards, if we redefine God's love, if we stay away from preaching this or we stay away from teaching that. The Bible says in Jeremiah 23, 29, is not my word like as a fire, saith the Lord. And the flame of revival can only be lit if it's lit under the truth of God's Word that will end up taking that spark and turning it into a flame. And that flame turning it into a revival of families coming. And a revival of people coming. And a revival of souls being saved. But only if we stick with God's book. And He's going to give the increase. I don't know how many numbers we're going to have. One sense, I don't care. The other sense, I do care because I want to see other people get saved. I want to see other people get taught the Word. I want to see other people that you can fellowship. I want to see other kids that my kids can play with. I want to see other families that have a real big victory and we can all gather around them and praise God for it. I want to see all that! And here's why. Because the last verse says, and they glorified God in me. And here's how you welcome new converts. You don't meet them with suspicion. We don't, you don't keep your distance. I mean, you don't jump on them and give them a big fat hug either, but you, I know, I know the Bible says people need to be proved and lay hands suddenly on no man. I get all that. Church today, generally speaking in America, has become cold. It's starting to draw back. It's being reserved. We're failing to glorify God for the genuineness of His work. Instead, we've created a really good marketing machine to get people in on a Sunday morning. But by and large, we're in a great spiritual depression and we need revival. So when we do get a new convert, when we do get someone that visits, accept them as a true convert. I know we need to ask, hey, how did you get saved? I know we can't lay hands lay suddenly hand no, on someone. I get all that. But they praised God for Paul the persecutor who is now the preacher. That's something else, isn't it? That's something else. It's a wonderful response to end the first chapter. And they glorify God in me. Man, Paul must have felt like a million bucks because God's getting the glory. And what a wonderful response. I love it. It's true glory. Paul's ministry, his conversion, everything that's going on here brings about the glorification of God. So I'm going to say this. I said all that to say this. Big deal, we fill up every pew. If God's not in it and God's not getting glory, I'm not going to be able to sleep at night with that. 
And if He just sends one family between now and the end of the year, if He gets glorified, why don't we just praise God for it? Instead of, well, they weren't in my age category. <laughs> Nobody here is in my age category, okay? I can either complain about it or I can praise God for it. It's all in how we look at it. I don't like these things. I hate wearing glasses. I do. I'm supposed to go to the eye doctor. You know what I did when I got the thing I'm supposed to go for my yearly checkup? Here's what I did. Throw it in the trash. I don't like I don't want to go. Not a good way to do things. Now that my wife knows this, I'm going <laughs> to have to. <laughs> but you hear what I'm saying? If God gets glorified, we have to get our eyes checked and start looking at things through the lens of is God going to be glorified? That's what I want. I trust that's what you want. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank You so much for Your Word. We pray that You'd have the preeminence here and You would get the glory in all that we say and do. Bless us as we go our separate ways. We do ask Your blessing, especially over our visit over to Brother Lloyd. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks a bunch for listening. For more information about Pilgrim Baptist Church, be sure to visit us online at pilgrimbaptist.church, where you can also send me a personal message or learn more about joining us for a church service. And remember, Christ is all.